Hi, and welcome, or welcome back to the Southside Baptist Church podcast. This is week five of our six-week Home Field Advantage series. This morning, we'll hear from our very own Darren Sides. Each week, he leads our small groups and students to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Good morning. My name is Hannah, and this is Ashlyn. This morning, our scripture reading is found in Genesis 41, 1 through 40. If you do not have a Bible, there are copies in the racks in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, please take this as our gift to you. Two years passed, and Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile River. Seven cows came up out of the Nile, all shimmering with health and grazed on the marsh grass. Then seven other cows, all skin and bones, came up out of the river after them and stood by them on the bank of the Nile. The skinny cows ate the seven healthy cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He went back to sleep and dreamed a second time. Seven ears of grain, full-bodied and lush, grew out of a single stalk. Then seven more ears grew up, but these were thin and dried up by the east winds. The thin ears swallowed up the full healthy ears. Then Pharaoh woke up, another dream. When the morning came, he was upset. He sent for all the magicians and sages of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but they could not interpret them to him. The head cupbearer then spoke up and said to Pharaoh, I just now remembered something. I'm sorry, I should have told you this long ago. Once when the Pharaoh got angry with his servants, he locked me up in the head baker in the house of the captain of the guard. We both had dreams on the same night, each dream with its own meaning. It so happened that there was a young Hebrew slave there with us. He belonged to the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, each dream separately. Things turned out just as he interpreted. I was returned to my position, and the head baker was impaled. Pharaoh at once sent for Joseph. They brought him on the run from the jail cell. He cut his hair, put on clean clothes, and came to Pharaoh. I dreamed a dream, Pharaoh told Joseph. Nobody can interpret it. But I've heard that just by hearing a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered, not I, but God. God will set Pharaoh's mind at ease. Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's two dreams both mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh what he is going to do. The seven healthy cows are seven years, and the seven healthy ears of grain are seven years. They're the same dream. The seven sick and ugly cows that followed them up are seven years, and the seven scrawny ears of grain dried out by the east wind are the same. Seven years of famine. The meaning is what I said earlier. God is letting Pharaoh in on what he is going to do. Seven years of plenty are on their way throughout Egypt, but on their heels will come seven years of famine, leaving no trace of the Egyptian plenty. As the country is emptied by famine, there won't be even a scrap left of the previous plenty. The famine will be total. The fact that Pharaoh dreamed the same dream twice emphasizes God's determination to do this and do it soon. So Pharaoh needs to look for a wise and experienced man to put him in charge of the country. Then Pharaoh needs to appoint managers throughout the country of Egypt to organize it during the years of plenty. Their job will be to collect all the food produced in the good years ahead and stockpile the grain under Pharaoh's authority, storing it in the towns for food. This grain will be held back to be used later during the seven years of famine that are coming on Egypt. This way the country won't be devastated by the famine. This seemed like a good idea to Pharaoh and his officials. Then Pharaoh said to his officials, Isn't this the man we need? Are we going to find anyone else who has God's spirit in him like this? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, You are the man for us. God has given you the inside story. No one is as qualified as you in experience and wisdom. From now on, you are in charge of my affairs. All my people will will report to you. Only as king will I be over you. This is the word of the Lord. 
So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 41. We read the whole passage because we will touch on it, but I'm not going to necessarily reread the whole thing. See, today is graduation Sunday, and I always appreciate graduation Sunday because it's interesting to watch the emotions, both with our students, but also with the families. With the students, it's a time of joy, it's a time of excitement, it's a time of love because they're around family, because they're turning a page in a book, they're ending one chapter of their life and going to a new one. However, when you look ahead at Graduation Sunday, it's also a time where some students um, encounter, and parents even, encounter despair, depression. Why? Because decisions are going to be made. It's the end of a chapter. The unknown is just around the corner. And if we don't recognize that that is both exciting and frightening at the same time, we, we kind of miss the joy of life. The challenge of life is, is balancing both of these things. It was at this point 12 years ago that I um, turned around and I um, stopped fighting God and decided that I was going to go into the ministry. Um, fighting is the correct word that I used there. I did not want to go into the ministry. Um, I watched my dad grow up in it, and it was not something I necessarily wanted to do because I know all the beauties and all the struggles that exist in the church. However, I felt a calling in my life. I felt a calling like this was what I was supposed to do, that I had sat there and saw the church go through many things, especially the church we were at, and like God had given me a purpose to, to change church, to, to change it and to redefine it, because church always needs to change, always needs to redefine to whatever culture that particular church is at, and I felt it. Today I brought my Bible from that point in my life. I have always kept it in its original brown bag from Winn-Dixie, uh, a Winn-Dixie that doesn't exist anymore, um, which was also the place that I worked. And it used to have a fig tree, it used to have drawings on it, it's now faded, What's interesting is the verse is still on there that I wrote down. Because when I saw this verse, I, it just spoke to me. The reality of, um, of the truth of God's word. It's James 5.17. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. And it spoke to me at that point because I felt like I had such a calling in my life to do something. Such a calling in my life to, to make a difference that sometimes can feel daunting. See, the question that today's um, topic is going to, going to look at is this. How do I lead when I'm not in charge? And I was an 18-year-old kid who knew that I couldn't really lead a church yet, but I felt a clear calling to do something. So how do I lead when I'm not in charge? And that verse about Elijah was very impactful to me because here was a man who was not in charge, and here was a man that God did great things through. So what could I do? What do I do? And the truth of that question is, it's a question we ask ourselves all throughout life, not just when we're seniors about to enter into college. It's a question even now I hear in my work with the students. How do I lead when I'm not in charge of my life? How do I lead when my parents really are in charge of me and I disagree with them? How do I lead when my teachers are telling me what to do and I don't feel like doing it anymore? Now that I have a seven-month-old son, I've realized that he asks that same question. I just can't hear it in English, right? Because last night, he went over and I tried. I had every toy laid out for him. But he chose to go to his noise machine and pick it up and fling it around like, I don't know, some kind of rodeo star. 
It didn't matter what I tried to tell him. He wanted to lead, even though he wasn't in charge. So how do we lead? It's something we ask in our childhood, but it's something we feel once we've passed our senior life and we've gone into work. Many of us are not hired right out into positions of leadership in our companies. But you're there, you have a calling to do whatever you're supposed to do in that company. You have a mission there, an objective. So how do you lead when you disagree with your bosses? We've gone through and we've traded out the things of school. We've traded out our desks. We've traded out our student ID badges. We've traded out the teachers. All for new sets of all those things. We've gone from one desk in a classroom to a desk in our office. We've gone from one set of ID badges for our school to driver's license. We've gone from classes that we have to take to recertification exams and continuing education courses. We've gone from having teachers in our life to having bosses. And so how do you lead when you're not in charge of that? Still, you go into your family and you experience the same tension For some of you, you may not be the main leader in your relationship. Maybe your spouse takes on that role and and you kind of help to follow and support. And so you are not necessarily in charge, but you still have disagreements. You still have an idea of what you may want to do. How do you lead in that situation? For some of you, you feel like your children are so out of line, they're so wild that you feel like you are no longer in charge of your child. So how do you lead them when you feel like you are no longer in charge? How do you lead your family? And this continues on even into your later end of your life. Many senior adults realize that it's not their job to lead their children anymore. And so you're no longer in charge of your family as a senior adult. Instead, you've passed on that that mantle to your children. So how do you help to continue to lead your children even when you're a senior adult? How do you continue to lead your life whenever now you're finding that your decisions on your health really aren't something that you're in charge of anymore, but you've passed a lot of that off onto doctors who are more experienced and educated than you are, and you're entering into a period of trust. But how do you help to lead in those positions when you're not in charge? It's a question that comes up, yes, when we're seniors in high school, going off into college. But it's a question that every single one of us can place ourselves into right now and today. And it is the story that we're going to look at here in Joseph's life. See, this long passage that we read from Genesis 41 comes at the end of a 13-year process for Joseph. When he was about 17, his brothers took him and sold him into slavery. He went and he worked at this person's house named Potiphar for probably about 10 years, maybe 11 years. And then he went and was thrown in jail, and there he existed for two years before the Pharaoh called him out. And there are some questions here as we're looking at this. See, I think we have some fallacies about this question, how do I lead when I'm not in charge? Because we act like leadership is about a position, and it's all about the authority that the position communicates. We also act that leadership is an action and a behavior that we have to perform. And both of those things are myths. Sometimes the best leaders are, in fact, the people who are not the bosses. Many of you know that in your company. That oftentimes it's the person just behind the boss, the person a couple of steps behind the boss, who's really leading and directing you, who you're really following for advice and support, who really helps to take you along and take you under their wing. They may be the true leaders, but they're not the positional boss. 
Oftentimes, we also see that leaders are sometimes at the place of their greatest success when they're in the midst of their greatest failures. So clearly, leadership is not about a behavior because sometimes you look at those leaders and you see them and you look at them and they're at points of great tragedy. But it's how they lead at that point. That's interesting. And so leadership is not about the authority that we have. It's not about the behavior we have, but it's about something else. And this is the first point of our, of our story. This is the first note on your handout today. And I wanted to define leadership before we get started. And simply this. Leadership is allowing my identity, my identity to influence others towards a common concern. It's not about our concerns or influence, first and foremost. See, the concern is simply the where we're going. It's simply the mission, the purpose. And so that isn't what leadership is. That's simply the goal of leadership. The influence is the who or the what you're using to get to that purpose. And so leadership doesn't start with influence. Influence is the tool to help accomplish the concern. But leadership, first and foremost, starts with my identity. Your identity is the most important point of the leadership that you have and is the most important thing that we see in Joseph's life. It's what helped lead this kid who was thrown into slavery at the age of 17 to a man who's standing before all of Egypt at the age of 30. And over those 13 years, it was his identity that he clinged to. Not necessarily his influence or his concern, but his identity. How often have you looked inside yourself and thought through, what is my identity? Today we're going to do that, so if your answer is never We're going to try it today. Um, There are five things that I want us to look at in our identity, and it's five things that we see here in Joseph. And the great thing is I steal everything, so I did not create these five things. Um, But I will gladly share the resource if you come up and ask me afterwards. But here are five things that we're going to look at. First is Joseph's past. All of us have a past, and Joseph's past helped to influence where he was. Who was Joseph? Joseph was the youngest son of a pretty wealthy family. His family decided to leave the big city and to go out into the countryside and start life fresh. And so that's what his great-grandfather Abraham did. He left the city and he went out into the country to start a new life and he started it off of a faith tradition. He was following what he believed was deeply embedded in himself and that was God, that God was telling him that he should move. And this faith of Abraham was passed down from generation to generation And that faith tradition became part of Joseph's past. How long was Joseph away from his family? He was taken at the age of 17. How long? We see him again at 30. 13 years. Thank you, Ashlyn. 13 years Joseph was gone. He was not around his family for 13 years. He was in a foreign land with foreign gods. Joseph, for 13 years, could only cling to his history that his great-grandfather passed down to him. Because there wasn't a church that he could attend. Instead, he was reciting the history of God that occurred again and again and again. And it was part of his identity. His ancient past became something that helped him in the current present as he's standing before the Pharaoh 13 years later. I say that to say some of you parents in the room may have given up hope 
and thinking that your child hasn't returned after five years, seven years. For Joseph, it was 13 years, and it was the traditions that his family taught him from the age of birth to 17 that helped continue set his identity when he was 30. So never overlook, next-gen workers, never overlook the power that you have as you're working with your students that you're around. Senior adults, never overlook the impact that you can make in the students, in the children, and in the preschoolers who are right around you every day here at Southside Baptist Church. And it was clear that this faith tradition of God is something that was important to him because throughout this whole passage of Genesis 41, it appears again and again and again. If you're there at Genesis 41, look at verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Again, in verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. In verse 28, it is, I, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And finally, in verse 32, and the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Joseph's past influenced his present, and that's because Joseph's past was part of his identity. The second point is the people. Joseph's people, the people who were all around him. You see that in this story because um, the person who really brings Joseph to mind to the Pharaoh was the cupbearer. And this is where your distant past can sometimes encounter your recent events in your present. And the truth is we never work in isolation. You may be a small business owner. You may say, well, I don't have any employees around me. It doesn't matter. You still have customers that you work with. Very rarely do you see anybody in this world who is never touching somebody else. Joseph's people is not about his family, but it's about the people he's in a relationship with throughout his time that he's in Egypt. And it's somebody here who the cupbearer was gone for two years. But I think what's important is that this cupbearer, what happened was they were both in prison. It was recited in the story. The cupbearer was distraught. He had a dream. He didn't know what he could do. And so he turns to Joseph, and Joseph comes up to him, and he says, why are you so distraught? They talk through the story, and Joseph gives him positive um, statements about what his dream was to mean. What I think is important here is that Joseph clearly impacted the cupbearer while they were in prison and gave him encouragement. At the same time afterwards, the cupbearer impacted Joseph and brought him out of jail. The people who you are around help to identify who you are. As we get a little bit later, we're going to look at how that impacts you in particular. The third thing to look at about Joseph's identities is his personality. Now, the Bible doesn't seek to answer this question and tell you what Joseph's Myers-Briggs personality is. It's not, didn't even exist back then, right? That's not, the purpose of the Bible is to tell us these things. The purpose is not to sit there and tell you what his anagram numbers are and who he meshes well with. That's not the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to tell the story of what Joseph was. And from the story of Joseph, we can see a couple of things. First, that Joseph was patient. For 13 years, he waited on God. He had a clear vision at the beginning that he was going to lead his family. But he was patient to wait and watch God work. He was humble. Joseph was a man that humbly endured being enslaved and being in prison. He was a person who humbly took orders and rose up in Potiphar's house, which I think is important because that also speaks to the fact that his personality was that of hard work. 
Joseph was a hard worker that no matter where he was found success because he worked and worked and worked. Even in the jail, he found purpose when most of us would just waste away. Joseph was patient, humble, and a hard worker, and his personality impacted his identity. Fourth was his purpose. Joseph had a clear purpose at the beginning of his life. In fact, it's what got him in trouble with his brothers. If you remember back in the story of Joseph, he had a dream. And his dream was that he was going to be over his family. That he was going to rule over his family. Now, he was the youngest son, and that didn't go well. And so Joseph was set, and he was um, enslaved. His brothers at first wanted to kill him. And then they backed down from that and said, let's just sell him. And that's what they did. But he had a clear purpose in his life, and that was to lead his family. Fifth was his priorities. Joseph's identity was also led by his priorities. Now, priorities doesn't mean that he put things in order and he made a to-do list for his daily actions. What priorities means here is that Joseph prioritized certain characteristics that helped to accomplish the purpose. See, if you just have purpose, but you never work towards it, you never really accomplished anything. Real life and your identity is about putting your purpose into action. And so Joseph continued to prioritize his life and to put it into action. It didn't matter where he was serving, but he led. And he led and he led. So these are the five things. These are the five things that made up Joseph's identity. His past, his people, his personality, his purpose, and his priorities. Now that we've gone through all of that, it's time for you to take part in this, okay? So if you notice taking notes, something that um, would frustrate my wife um, is the fact that you, you have these headings, right? And then you had a bunch of blanks. <laughs> yeah, all of you, I don't know, what is that, type A personality people? Right, when we get a personality, you can write that in that spot. But there are a bunch of blanks for us to fill in. Why? Because I want application. <laughs> Simply telling you about Joseph doesn't lead you to life change. Let's figure out some application. So first, what is your past? This is yourself in time. Leadership is about allowing your identity to influence others towards a common goal. So what is your past that sets up your identity? These are things and characteristics about you. It's your family, your race, your socioeconomic status, your citizenship, your gender, your family faith traditions. So there's a really small blank spot. Write something down there. A few words, something. I'm going to give you a second to write. Next is your people. See, our identities are affected by the actions of the people around us, right? Just like with Joseph, sometimes they lift us up emotionally. Sometimes they can even lift us up into leadership positions that we never even thought we could do. However, to ignore the impact of people on our identity is foolish. And so who are the people that are around you? This is yourself in relationships. So take a second and write down the people who you're around. These could be your family members. These could be your coworkers, And we all know the impact here. If you've ever worked for a company that celebrated people, you know what it is to feel encouragement. So if you've ever worked in a company that was very toxic, you know what that feels like too. To act like our identities are not affected by people is absolutely foolish. Third, your personality. This is your self-interior. 
Look inside yourself at your physical, your mental, and your emotional characteristics. What makes up your personality? Fourth, your purpose. This is your self-agency. Why are you here? What can you contribute? And that's something that takes on different definitions depending on where here is. Here your job, here in your family, here at this church. What can you contribute? What is your purpose? And this is not something that just drops in your lap often, right? Like, I didn't have a dream when I felt called into ministry, and all of a sudden there was these weird stalks of hay doing weird things and cows, and that wasn't my story. That's not how God spoke to me. It took discernment. It took me fighting and wrestling with God to figure out what it meant. However, this is something that is discerned over your lifetime. This isn't something that you sit back and you passively discover. You need time to wrestle this. So I know some of you will leave that blank, and that's okay. Because I think where we enter into errors of our identity is we never identify our purpose, and we know our past, we know our people, we know our personality, but we've never actually looked at our purpose. And we wonder why we feel lost, why we can't lead. Could it be that you've never asked yourself the hard question, why am I here? Your purpose is so important. You were created for something or someone bigger than yourself. You were created to contribute to a greater good. You were created to bring good to, bring good to other people. You were created to cultivate good in other people. You certainly have a mission that's greater than what I feel like culture tells me my mission should be, which is to make myself happy. That's a weak mission. That's a weak purpose in life. And that is a self-centered purpose in life. What is your purpose. Last, your priorities. This is self-determination. These are your ideals. These are your beliefs. These are your values. These are your passions. And the most important thing is these are the things you act on. There's a difference between purpose and priorities. What are you acting on? The most crucial aspect to leading when you are not in charge is understanding and knowing your identity. The clearer you are about who you are, the more consistent you will be with others. In seminary, I had a professor that took us through something like this. It was all about integrity. And his whole point is that you're a person of integrity whenever these things align with each other. You're a person without integrity when they don't align. Why? Because our actions all flow from who we are. What we do is dramatically impacted by who we are. Dramatically impacted by who we are. And I think we never, ever stop and listen and figure out from God about who we are, who he made us to be. And it's no wonder we're lost. And it's no wonder that sometimes some of us are spiritually lost. Because we never stopped and listened about who God said that we are. That we are sinners who are saved by grace through Jesus Christ. That's what all of those songs had in common this morning. It was all about the cross. It was all about who he was. And that's what makes us truly alive. So what are your priorities? All right, now there are other blank sections, and we're going to do this really quickly. 
And there are two things that are left, right? Because the purpose of establishing our identity isn't just to establish our identity and we're done leading, right? If I know who I am, that's all it takes to lead. No, that's not true. You know who you are, why? Because your goal is to influence others towards a common concern. That's really what leadership is. Yes, knowing who you are, but then influencing others towards a common concern. So on your worship guide, you have two other blank sections, right? It says your concerns. What I want you to write right there is some of the things that you personally are concerned about. What is a concern of you? Now, when I talk about things aligning and that leading to integrity, typically your concerns should align with your purpose. Does that make sense? What you're concerned about is typically the things that you find purpose to do. And I would challenge you that when those two things are out of line, when you're concerned about things that you don't feel a purpose behind, is why you can feel dead doing some tasks that you currently do. God aligns us and makes us in such a way that our purpose should align with what we're concerned about. Joseph was concerned about his family. And what you end up seeing is that he never lost that concern. That was his purpose. And so when his family came in, he continued to love them. And if you're doing the small group lesson um, inside of your worship guide, you'll see that even the death of his own father didn't stop him from being concerned about leading his family and leading it correctly. He was more concerned about leading and loving his family than he was about seeking retribution when he could, when all of his family members were concerned about it. Why? Because his concern and his purpose aligned. So your concern and your purpose need to align. The other thing is your influence. Where do you have influence? Maybe at this church it's in your small group. Maybe you're a deacon over your small group. Maybe you're one of the people who loves on my child in the baby room. Maybe you are influential at your workplace. Maybe you're influential in your community. Where are places that you have influence? And again, these things align, right? Our places of influence are greatly impacted by the people we're around. Now, if you're really interested in this, I would advise you to go look at Stephen Covey's um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Right? And he talks all about how you move your sphere of influence towards your sphere of concern. And you want to make these things align as best as you can. And that is a leadership principle that is true regardless of faith tradition. But where I will challenge you as people of faith is that we need to trust God sometimes in moving our sphere of influence. I think people of faith get in trouble when we feel like we have to make ourselves more influential. And sometimes the point is, yeah, you need to work hard on what you feel God's called you to do, but you need to also trust God to open doors for you. Joseph's life was a life of trusting God, and where he was, that's where his feet were. And that's where he found his place, and he expanded his influence wherever he was. And when he got picked up and moved into a jail, when he got picked up and moved into the house with Pharaoh, he was influential where he was, and he trusted God to take over that sphere of influence. And so how do you lead when you're not in charge is this. It's not about seeking an authority position. It's not about always seeking to do great things. I would challenge you that to be a true leader wherever you are, it's recognizing where your sphere of influence is and going out and trying to go after the things that you're concerned about. And it's not something that you generate 
but it's something that God has already placed inside of who you are. And so that whole influence and concern is all fueled by your identity. It's all fueled by your identity. My challenge to you is to see where your identity, your influence, and your concern align. These are the areas where you have the best ability to lead right now. So even though you're a college kid sitting in a class, even though you're a senior adult and you feel like you can't contribute all that much, here's a place where you have influence. Even though you're in a family that feels like it's being torn apart, I guarantee you, you are influencing someone in how you're handling that. Even though you're a child and life just seems like it is so long and so far ahead before you do anything, let me tell you, you still have influence even over your parents where you are. This may not be a position of leadership or authority right now. You may not be in quote-unquote charge. However, God has given you influence. The most important point, I want you to take this with you. Build your identity in Christ. And focus your concerns in the area where God has given you influence. The story of Joseph is that in every single one of those places, in his past, in the people, in his purpose, in his personality, in his I'm forgetting one, in every single area, God was present. He built his identity not around Christ, right? Because Christ didn't exist. Um, Christ hadn't yet come to the earth. Christ existed in heaven, right? But he built his identity around God. Us, post-Christ's death, we build our identity around Christ. And so in every single one of those places, Christ should exist. Every single one of those. In your past, does Christ exist? Have you started a relationship with God in your past? And I would challenge you and say, if you haven't done that, today's the day. Start a relationship with God. Start it, and I can tell you that maybe it'll provide some purpose to your life. God is in Joseph's past. Is God in your past? Second, is Christ in the people who you're around? Sometimes that's because you're around people who pour Christ into you. Sometimes that's because you're the only figure of Christ that can be for some of the people you're around. But the truth is is that Christ needs to be everywhere inside of our relationships. Why? Because our identity is based off of Christ. So Christ should be there around our people. Is Christ there in your personality? Is Christ in your personality? In how you act, in how you relate, in how you face the world, does Christ impact that? And if you say, well, that doesn't matter. Like, I am who I am. God made me who I am. I would say that's hogwash. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and I may have forgotten one. Those things impact your personality. Are the fruit of the Spirit, is the Spirit impacting who you are? Is Christ present in that? Is Christ present in your purpose? Or are you going towards goals that God isn't concerned about? And finally, is God present in your priorities? Is God motivating you day in and day out to act for who he is? Build your identity in Christ And focus your concerns in the area where God has given you influence. Are you doing that? This isn't one where we're going to come to an application and we're going to sing a song and you can come down for it. That's not necessarily the purpose. The purpose in the application of today is what you did on that handout. 
The purpose of today is for you to investigate yourself, and this is something that you may need to take some serious time and just pray to God about this week. But the purpose today, the the call to action, is for you to take these things with you and to align yourself, to be people of integrity whose identities are focused on Christ. In just a moment, the band, um, y'all can go ahead and come up. Ashlyn and Dylan are going to sing. I'm going to sing a song about this as living. And I'll tell you, if you feel like you haven't been living in a long time, one of the main reasons for that could very well be the fact that you have misalignment. Your emotions typically will tell you that. Um, we're going to go ahead and collect our offering too. forgot to mention that. So if you're taking up the offering, if you'll go ahead and come to the front as well. If you have any questions, causes, or concern, remember there's the tear-out in your worship guide that you can tear out, and you can put in the offering plate as it's passed. If you have any prayer requests, I would encourage you to go ahead and fill them out and put them in the offering plate too. Let's pray for each other. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the people you have brought here. God, I pray for those who are watching online and who are traveling with family. Um, God, I thank you that we're at a place of encouragement. God, I thank you for all the, for all the texts and everything that I've gotten, Lord. And um, God, I know this message has been prayed over probably for people who are in this room, maybe for people who are listening. But God, I definitely feel like this is for somebody now. So God, I pray for the person right now who feels lost, who that song defender... <laughs> They thought they lost themselves, and they feel like they have lost themselves. But God, the joy is that you have not lost me. You have not lost them. You know exactly where to find us. And you're looking to redeem us into your glorious purpose that you have for our lives. And so I pray for that individual right now. Lord, that maybe they need to come to a faith and come to a relationship with you. The faith tradition was in their past, but they've never actually accepted you. God, I pray that you can move in them. God, I pray that they can have their identity based in you. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you during our Wednesday or Sunday gatherings here on campus. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast and download our free app by searching SSBC Jacks in the App Store or in Google Play. You can get access to our recent messages and keep up with all that's going on here at Southside. For directions, for service times, and information about our wonderful next-gen children environments, please visit us at ssbc.org.